Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, and I get to introduce listeners to amazing women who are making a real difference in the world. With our podcast, you'll get to hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges that people have overcome, how their backgrounds help to shape who they are today, and how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. Joining me today, I'm delighted to have Sarah Crasley, who is a fearless entrepreneur, who's also the founder and CEO of Shimmy, an early stage fashion tech company that is intent on preparing the apparel industry for the future of work by building video game-based training. But we're going to get to hear all about that directly from Sarah. So without further ado, let me give a warm welcome to Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. This is so fun. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. Great, great. And, and you're actually coming to us from, from sunny Brooklyn, New York, right? Yeah, I think that, yep, the sun is out, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. So, Sari, you have such a terrific background. And what, what I love is that it's a great combination of technology and fashion. Could you just share with our listeners more about your background? And, and I think more importantly, who are your early influencers? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think at my root, I'm probably like many of your listeners, just a person utterly fascinated with manufacturing, you know, that, that notion that somebody, a designer can have an idea in their mind, and it can, you know, all of a sudden, you look at the end of the assembly line, and there, there are millions of, of little children <laughs> of that design there. I mean, there's just such magic in that process. And it's been the, the general theme throughout my, my whole life. I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which is a little town, quite near Philadelphia. It's a town that a lot of people know because there was a Billy Joel song about Allentown in the 80s. That's right. Yeah. And it, it talks a lot about a company called Bethlehem Steel, which was really the anchor of that community at the time. You know, my, my grandfather worked at Bethlehem Steel. My dad, my uncles worked there in summers. And, you know, I grew up in the 80s and it was not a great era for Bethlehem Steel. They had not made great decisions in terms of adopting technology, particularly some, some automated equipment that would have helped them lower costs and been more competitive in the market. And the repercussions of those decisions really led to some very serious consequences for my town. There was economic depression, and Allentown is only really now recovering from that. It took many decades for that to happen. And I think that that is, is very resonant in my work and in the way I see the world. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you were a firsthand witness to all of this depression, which I can see would have a tremendous impact that eventually led you to build Shimmy. Could you talk a little bit more about just your your mom and your dad and, and just, you know, those those life lessons that you learned? What was the, what was the biggest life lesson? Totally. Well, you know, I think I'm also very much a product of both of them. My my mom is just an extraordinary person. She had taught first grade for 40 years and had a had a deep love of kids that have learning disabilities. So I think I saw her helping teach non-traditional learners and really being creative in in the ways that you you reach people 
and meet them where they are. You know, my dad on the other side was a civil engineer. You know, my dad, yes, really wanted me to get into math and engineering, but more so, I think he really set me up in life in the biggest way and just exposing me to cool stuff as a kid. Like he played me Velvet Underground records when I was in the first grade. And I really credit him to setting me up well to meet the cool kids through life and just have a really interesting <laughs> life in, in that regard. I love that. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and obviously your parents had a big emphasis on education because, you know, when I look at your background, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's got all these degrees. You want to tell us about that journey? Yeah. I mean, I have spent a lot of time in school, but I'm a very, very curious person for better or worse. I'm a person that's constantly expanding. And, you know, I started with a degree in sculpture from Pratt and then ended up in business school. So that required a lot of night school <laughs> in statistics and calculus and all the stuff you don't learn in art school. What led you to, from an art degree to get your MBA? Well, when I was in art school, the work I was doing was, was pretty conceptual. I was really interested in public art, I was interested in public intervention work. And one of my professors said to me, you know, Sarah, I think you're more interested in the board governance structure that you're welding a jungle gym about and less <laughs> so in the welds that you're making in these particular components. And I said, yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> so that, that was the seed. It was really about like, how do you take an idea put momentum behind it. And while I knew how to develop an idea in art school, I didn't know finance mechanisms and how to, you know, create influence and get other people to buy into it and how to make that fit inside a system or not fit inside a system. So that that was really what I learned in business school for sure. And so what so you went from New York to California? I did. I got very interested while I was still doing art and working for an artist, one of the projects he had me work on was related to renewable energy, oddly. And just like my professor said, I got way more interested in financing streams for renewable energy projects than I did in figuring out, you know, what a beautiful wind turbine blade looks like. So um, <laughs> that that caused me to go out to San Francisco and yeah, I tried living out there. So I lived out there for eight years and it was a great place for me to grow, but I just love New York. New York is home. I love the East Coast. I love the drama of the seasons, you know, and, and that stuff was missing out West, but I'm, I'm certainly happy for the, the ways I grew my time out there. And more recently, you got you went to the Fashion Institute of Technology for I an associate's degree. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I again that was night school. I was at that point in my career, I was working at Autodesk. I was leading an emerging technology group there that was looking at energy efficiency in automotive plants. So how can you do? Com, you know, use computational fluid dynamics to make airflow improve inside a plant and make folks working on the line comfortable, as well as making sure you're not overcooling or, or overheating a space. 
So I was hanging out with all these gearheads through the day, but I really wanted to understand the, the clothing process and particularly fit. So I chose the very hardest category you could possibly study in terms of fit, which is intimate apparel and swimwear. I think any woman on this call has probably struggled with how a swimsuit looks and how it fits. So I really wanted to understand that better. So during the day, I'd hang out with all these these folks in automotive <laughs> manufacturing groups, and then I'd quietly tuck lace and elastics uh, and French <laughs> curves in my bag and walk up 10 blocks to FIT, where I, I worked on a very different kind of engineering problem. Oh, that's great. That's great. You, you know, we're going to have to talk online because I just went through that painful process of getting a bathing suit. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> and and so clearly sustainability has been, you know, I, I'm hearing that common thread in, in everything that you've been doing. Yeah. So what was your interest in that? Well, sustainability, it just makes sense to me. It just, you know, if you're going to the trouble of building a huge system to make stuff or to generate electricity, why wouldn't you do it in a way that really keeps in mind future generations? And, you know, my dad was was really instrumental when I was little in telling me about Buckminster Fuller. And he's really, Bucky is my favorite human being of all time. And he said this thing that is still really a cornerstone of my work. Like Bucky really believed that, you know, in order to make the world work, you've, you've got to make it work for 100% of humanity in the shortest possible time. You've got to do it through spontaneous cooperation and you got to do it without ecological offense or, or disadvantaging anyone. And that is a really hard thing to do, but that has always been the guiding principle of my life. And you know, after 40 some years, it, it still holds true. And I still think about it almost every day. That's wonderful. So where, where would where would one of our listeners find out more about him? There is the Buckminster Fuller Institute, which does a wonderful job of, of telling Bucky's stories and uh, illuminating his principles. But if anybody's ever been to Epcot, you've been in a, a geodesic dome. And that was one of Bucky's innovations. Ah, okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Sarah, let's talk about what led you to create Shimmy. Well, you know, if we look back at that quote I just shared from Buckminster Fuller, he was really about making a system work for 100% of the people that are in it. And apparel manufacturing decisions are largely due to where can you find a labor pool that has the skills that you need at the cheapest possible price. And apparel has enormous inputs of, of human labor. There are 75 million workers in the apparel industry. And that's largely due to the fact that material handling is really challenging when you're making clothes. It's a flexible material. It's hard to move through a sewing machine. And it's just been more cost effective to have human workers doing that work. But, you know, that's beginning to change. There's semi-automation in the field, things as simple as a new sewing machine is going to have an automatic thread cutting function and poof, you know, you've lost a whole career pathway 
of people that used to get their foot in the door by cutting the threads off of clothes. And, you know, the displacement rates are, are significant. We're looking at, you know, between 60 to 88%, the ILO is predicting, of those workers will be displaced by, by automation in the next 10 years. And that's staggering. It's a huge number of people. So what do you do about that? Well, you know, my team and I, we're in a lot of conversations where people talk about the future of work and they say, oh, you know, they, they share the scary t- statistic I just shared with you, or they say, you know, it's going to happen in, in this time or that time. And there's no real consensus on when is this actually going to happen. And the number of people we have to reskill and upskill is so big that we can't waste any more time trying to plot out what that looks like. So we have decided to, to step in and try and fill that space with a new research study called the Apparel Automation Pulse. We're also just calling it the Pulse. So we're working with the ILO research team, Better Work Bangladesh, the Center for Global Development, and we're getting real clear and real granular about here's the rate of change in machines and automation, and here are the impacts that's having on the human workforce. So we can look at that demand curve, and we can all make better decisions. And so can you talk about then the business model for Shimmy and how you operate? Yeah. So, you know, our purpose is really to not only build that demand curve and help the industry as a whole move forward and make better decisions, we also really have an interest in helping workers increase their skills and stay relevant as those changes in equipment happen. So we develop uh, little video games that help workers gain the digital skills that they need, help them understand what a digital controller might look like when they're operating the new equipment that's coming on the market. And that way we, we shrink the amount of time that it takes to train somebody. And we also just make the training more approachable. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have sat in or been a part of uh, you know, technical trainings and it's really not fun for anybody. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. It's just yes, death by PowerPoint. <laughs> you know, you're sitting in a classroom, it's not engaging. Like, And that's not also a way to excite new people about wanting to enter our industry, right? Like that's one of the first gates you've got to go through. And if it's boring, that will discourage a lot of people. So we're really interested in how can we make training easy and fun? And how can we incent people to keep learning? That's really important. So how do you know, like, what are the things that you're training them on? That when you talk about reskilling and upskilling, what are those skill sets? So our focus is that group that's very, very vulnerable to job displacement. These are sewing machine operators that probably only know how to operate one machine. So what we do is we help them become multi-machine operators first. That really helps them be safe in this next round of layoffs. You know, COVID-19 has it really changed a lot. Obviously, that's an overly simple way of saying it. But in terms of, of factories hiring workers back after infection rates, they want workers who can do multiple things. You know, you might have a worker 
who is in the cutting room and they're out sick and all of a sudden you have a bottleneck in cutting and you don't have enough material to send to your your sewing lines, you've got a problem. You're losing money and you're already strapped for cash because you've had to shut down. So having workers that are multi-skilled increases productivity and it also helps those workers have a little bit more income. They're going to be given a higher rate, which allows them to save and weather these disruptions much better. And what are, what are some of the other most vulnerable areas? Well, you know, over time, even multi-machine operators will be displaced. So we're helping workers gain the digital literacy they need to operate automated equipment, We know that CAD and 3D is going to become more and more important in the product development process and apparel. So we teach workers how to lay out pattern pieces in order to generate digital models. We teach them cut planning so they can operate laser cutting tables. We even teach them about the Cartesian plane, which, as you know, if you want to register a laser to do a job, you've got to understand the X and the Y axis. And, you know, our worker population, many of them have no formalized education after about fourth grade. So we learned all that stuff in school, but but they didn't. So um, it's been really wonderful to think about how to make that fun and how to make it relevant to the workers' lives. That's amazing. And, And what percentage would you say are women? All. We focus our training on on women and helping make an environment where they feel safe to learn and increases their confidence. And Sarah, is this strictly in the U.S. or are you also working overseas? We work in three countries. So the U.S., we've had a significant focus in Bangladesh, and also we've done some piloting in Indonesia. Ah. So in terms of the impact, can you talk a little bit about that, What's, what the impact to date has been? Yeah. So the workers that have participated in our pilots, I visited with some of the workers from our first pilot, and they are all multi-machine operators now, which is wonderful. That must give you a lot of satisfaction to see that. It does. And, you know, I, I worry about them on the other side of the world now and not being able to go to Bangladesh and be with my team as much as I was able to before. So it gives me some some satisfaction that somewhere in some small way, we we helped them a little bit with these new significant challenges the workers have in front of them. And what's the impact of the companies that you're working with? I mean, they're, they're obviously engaged because they're bringing you on to do this, but what are they saying? Well, the factories are excited about it for a couple different reasons. They There's a cost in helping a worker achieve a multi-machine operator position. So they like that we have a very light cost-effective training that the workers want to do. They are also really interested in adhering and even exceeding in many cases the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So providing technical trainings that help workers, female workers, compete with males for those positions is, is great. So it helps them in terms of of gender and income equity as well. Let's talk about, I mean, you've had a a number of awards and and different recognitions. Could you share some of those with us? I know you're not not looking into Bose, but but I think for our listeners to hear about it, I think that's important. Yeah, well, it's been wonderful to be recognized. You know, the first award we got 
was from the IEEE. And that was given to us from them and from the 3DRC, which is a coalition of the largest brands in the US and Europe. And it really awards interesting new ideas to old problems, I would say. So that was really flattering to get that. We were a finalist in the Tommy Hilfiger Social Innovation Prize. I got to pitch to him and to Daniel Greeter, which was certainly something I'll remember forever. We've done a few accelerators. We were in the MIT Solve Accelerator on the future of work. And we recently had a tremendous, just wonderful, wonderful experience in the Acumen Funds Civic X Accelerator. And in that one, I got to meet all these amazing workforce practitioners all over the U.S. who are training people to do all sorts of things and exciting young people in new career paths. So that was a fantastic experience. Sarah, what are the other industries? I know you've been focused on apparel, and obviously there's such an incredible need there. Are there other industries that you're targeting? We are targeting other industries. You know, if we think about the future of work, it's dynamic. You can't just skill up for the industry that you're in and then, you know, be there forever. I think if we look at a country like Bangladesh, 80% of their exports are related to garment production, 80%. And when you have something like COVID come that is changing the risk profiles that a supply chain executive is, is building in their minds, you know, those supply chain executives are saying, we want shorter supply chains, we're starting to think about reshored manufacturing. If you're a factory owner in Bangladesh, you're going to start thinking about diversifying your portfolio. So what we do is really, we're just starting to think about how can we build transferable skills? So how can we take what a worker understands in laying out a seam in apparel manufacturing and help them leapfrog into laying out circuitry or doing something else that has a similar process? Uh, so that's been really fun work that we're, we're doing right now. And just a couple of personal questions. Yeah, sure. So what's the best advice you ever got and how did it change you or change the course of your life? The best advice I ever got was from a guy who was really a mentor to me. He passed away a few years ago and he said one time, he said, you know, I think it's, it's BS the way people say that you just need to minimize stress in your life. And he said, you know, Sarah, you are somebody who is always expanding and always taking on new challenges. I don't expect that your life is going to get smaller. I think it's only going to get bigger. And if that's the way you want to live your life, there's going to be stress and there's going to be more of it. It's going to be different kinds of stress, but it's not really about minimizing stress. It's really about protecting your body from the stress that's in your life. So that advice really helped me think about, like, how do I make better decisions about what irritates me and doesn't? You know, I let a lot of things go because I really do do that calculation in my mind of like, is this worse, the stress that this is going to put on my body? Probably not in, in many cases. So it's really helped me be very choosy in, in what I decide to expend my energy on. And it also 
you know, has really made me cognizant of how important exercise and meditation and sleep are. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be the change agent that you really want to be. Exactly. That's wonderful advice. That really is. It, it, you know, in a way, it reminds me of the saying, do you, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm skewing much more on the happy side <laughs> these days. And well, also, a, yeah, ahead, just like rec- to that point, Linda, you know, recognizing when the other person in the argument, it, you can just tell that it's really important to them to be right you know, and, and saying to yourself, it's, it's a lot more important for this person to be right than it is for me. So I'm just going to let them have that, you know, and um, <laughs> not, not get, not get involved here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I think that's really great advice. And actually yeah. that's different from what we've been hearing. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of oh. emphasis these days on um, being right and, <laughs> and being effective. And sometimes you, you just have to look at that in a different way. Exactly. And you know what, I, I like to uh, add in just, you know, one, if we have time, one more quick question, which is if you could have one superpower, what would that be? And when, when I say superpower, I mean like, you know, think of the, uh, you know, the TV shows, invisibility or super strength or mind control or, or anything else. What, what would that be if you could be that? I might've answered this question differently a few months ago, but as of now, I just, I miss, I miss people so much. I miss my, my team in Bangladesh. I miss being in the factories. And I, I think if I had one superpower, it would be just the ability to, to quickly move locations, I guess, teleportation, would that oh. be what we would call it? So I could pop over and see people and, and obviously not get the virus or, or give the virus to them. <laughs> so maybe that's two. So you, you could just magically appear in, in Bangladesh. Yeah. I, this is the longest I haven't been over there in the last seven years. So yeah, I really miss it. How often do you typically go there? Every couple of months. I mean, I have a team of five there now and they are doing a wonderful job running things on the ground, but you know, there are some of them we've, we've onboarded during the pandemic. And I don't like to do things that way. I really believe in, you know, the time you spend face to face. And that will be a superpower I'm going to have to hone whether I like it or not in figuring out ways to really build trust and get to know people when, when we're not in the same place physically. Yeah. And ho- hopefully that will be soon. And I have no doubt after uh, meeting you that if anybody's going to do it, you will. Oh, well, thank you. That's very humbling. <laughs> and we're actually at the end of our show. Sarah, thank well, you so, so much. Well, that was so fast. It was, <laughs> it was such a pleasure. And it's just been great to know you since the Women in Manufacturing Conference. I, I remember the first day I got to go to that event and I looked out in the audience and, and thought to myself, this is so cool. Like there's just this vibrant, amazing community of women who just like me are just utterly fascinated in in how things are made and and committed to finding systems that that can can do that in better ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are still we're still online. I just wanted to say if for more information, if anybody wants to find out more about you or connect with you, Sarah, or in and learn about Shimmy, where would they go? 
Just our website is a great place. It's shimmy.io. We're on social media at Everybody Shimmy. Everybody Shimmy. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you. And for our listeners out there, we look forward to our next show. So stay tuned for more great stories with amazing women. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.